don't know about you, but Colossians 1 has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible right now. Paul writing from jail, the prison epistles, right around the exact same time, maybe one after the other, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, um, Philemon, had them dispersed, coming to this Colossi, this church at Coloss, and uh, had some things going on there that um, Epaphras had brought to him. He heard about it, and as if he's there, and uh, we just see Paul's heart in ministry as we go through the Bible, this book, and uh, just pray that that can be contagious to us, um, the spirit behind all of that. We see, um, we saw in chapter one, Jesus as the author and sustainer of creation. He, he authored creation. He did everything, everything physical, uh, and then he sustains it too. So he didn't just do it and let it go. He didn't just begin us and let us go. He's actively involved in it. And we saw also in chapter one that he's the author and the sustainer of salvation. So we have, we have a great hope. We have a living hope. And uh, we also are, are going to see that he is the author and sustainer of our sanctification. So chapter one, we, uh, the truth about Christ. And we've made it to chapter two. And some call it the truth about cults. What is a cult? What is a heresy? We'll be talking about that. We're getting into some warnings here. And then chapter 3, we find out the truth about Christians. And uh, so chapter 2, verse 1 says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So we see Paul here begins with four. And whenever you have a for or a therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. So he's referring to something that he just said. Again, there's no chapter breaks in the original text. So if we need to back up to complete, the, to begin this thought. So if we start in chapter 1, verse 24, it goes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church, and we know that his suffering didn't make up anything they needed for redemption. Um, this was his work of ministry, his calling a service, of which, 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we're going to see that thought throughout the rest of this chapter, there, as well as uh, the book, that our hope is in Christ alone. And there's others that had been coming saying that you can get further or advance more through other things and the whole book begins with the solution. It's kind of like Jeopardy. He tells you the answer, then he asks you the question. Jesus is the answer. He tells you right out up front in, a, in an emphatic way in chapter 1. Jesus is the answer. 28, it says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. And that is the only way you will be presented perfect is if you are in Christ. 
To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And that word mightily is dunamos. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, still states, I labor, striving according to his working. And uh, that word labor in verse 29 means to work to the point of coming to an exhaustion. And, and there are many, many pastors I've heard say, Jesus had said, uh, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord. We can rest when we get there. Right now there's work to be done. And Paul labored to exhaustion. And this I find intriguing because he's talking about people that he's never met face to face. He was laboring to exhaustion. And it says also striving according to the working of the Spirit. And that word striving in the Greek is help me, agonizomai, and it means to enter a sporting event. So he's using here athletic terms. Paul often did that, especially talking to Greek people and all the Olympiads and, the, and all of the things that were going on. He used many examples that people would be familiar with. So he actually worked as if to exhaustion, as if entering a Greek sporting event into the arena I'm exhausted in working my way into the arena. And it also says in chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And that word conflict is striving agonomiza, and conflict is agon. It's a derivative of the same word, and it's the place of a sporting event. So he's using this picture of entering into an arena and, and working hard, and that I, I can't, he uses this example Commonly, so I just thought we, if we could turn to First Corinthians chapter nine, these same words are used, and it just stresses the point again. So First Corinthians nine twenty four verses we're all familiar with. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He doesn't say there's only going to be one that wins a prize. We all get crowned because of God, but we should be competing as if our heart, our devotion, our goal is to obtain a crown. Verse 25, and here's our word. And everyone who competes for the prize, and that's that word agonizo, for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I don't want to live in such a way that I get lazy, that I get tired, that I get bored, that I get distracted, that other people are going to be harmed because I wasn't giving it my all. I wasn't going as if to become exhausted. And, and spiritually, I'll confess, I get lazy sometimes. I take a rain check. Sometimes it's hard to fight the fight. Uh, we get tired, um, but it is worth it. And that's a saying I've said to many because the Lord said it to me and he still says it. It might be hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's a, it's, it's a worthy battle. Back in Colossians 2, For I want you to know what a great conflict 
I have for you and those in Laodicea. And we've talked about this before. Laodicea is approximately 10 miles away from Colossians. We would never be aware of the church there other than this book. And he wrote it, and there's some profound things here. Um, and they were all to be read. So the same people that deliver these letters, they said to share them around. So this letter is coming to Colossae, but it's also going to Laodicea and probably Ephesus. And he has this conflict for those that he has not seen, that have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul loves these people so much, and we know that's the, it's the, it's, it's the, picture that we use also. It's from the book of Acts, and that's what Calvary Chapels had seen. And Paul actually had a vision, like not just a purpose in life, but the vision. He saw Jesus, and he spoke to him, and he told him what he was gonna, his ministry was going to be, and he traveled, and he planted churches. And when he went there and planted a church, he spent time with them and raised up people, and those people got together in a healthy church, healthy sheep beget sheep. And next thing you know, there's people getting saved and people are sharing their faith. If you have Jesus in you, if he's contained, it's a, it's a struggle to keep him in. He wants to come out. He wants people to be seen. We're to be the light. And that is the character and nature of the Holy Spirit. And it's contagious. You know, I've heard other people say, you know, whatever is in you, if you're filled with Jesus, whenever you bump into people, what do you spill on them? And we should be spilling Jesus on people. If your heart is filled with him, if something else comes out, then God's using that experience of bumping into something to let you know what you were filled with. Why do I get so angry? Well, well there was anger in my heart. If you, what are we filled with? We, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Lord, why did, that, why did you let this thing get in my way. God is like, because I wanted you to see what's going on, what I've been dwelling with all this time. He already knew. It's, he's letting us see these things. And, and these are people Paul hasn't even seen face to face. This is how he strived. I, 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 we should be doing that for people that we love, but he, Paul is here doing this for people he hasn't even met yet. People that he has a tie to through other believers. He loves Epaphras. He loved the people in Ephesus. You know, you read Pastor D went through his heart as he's ministering to the elders as they left there. And that should be, that's, that's God's heart. God loves people. And we're seeing that reflected in Paul's face here. And again, there's going to be a, an earthquake very soon after this. We don't know what happens to the people there. But this church is about to, the city is about to be traumatized. They don't even know it yet, Right thinking of a Habakkuk, you know, if I told you what was coming, you wouldn't even believe me. That would have been what is coming in this country. No, we wouldn't have believed today if God had told us five years ago what today would look like. These people had no idea what was coming. And he didn't, he wrote this letter to them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's not telling them to leave. He's not telling them to hide. He's not saying, you better get right or I'm going to come judge you. He just says, you know what, you don't know what's coming, but I do. And right now I know you need more of Jesus and you need an encouragement. And he's always the answer. Competing as if to win a race. And again, the word Laodicea means rule of the people. And we can see it's less than 30 years, or approximately 30 years after this church was written, um, that revelation, the letter Jesus dictated to how far and how fast things can happen. Just 
We're always one generation away from a revival. We're also one generation away from falling away. How do we live? Looking back real quickly, um, just mindful this morning, Peter, do you love me? This love that we're supposed to have. Um, chapter 2, verse 2 says, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. So Paul is here talking about these Colossians' heart, that they might be knit together in love. We read in Colossians 1, 4, well, three. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Paul's commending the Colossi church that they had a love for all the saints. And it also tells us in verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So he commends them for having a love for all the saints. They have a love in the spirit. And now in chapter 2, he's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So he already commends them that they have love. They have a love for, for people and they have a love for in the spirit. But there's something that he says there's a, there's. There's a danger, and he says he wants them to be knit together. And we know that there's people that are coming in with false doctrine. That's one of the things he's doing, and we're going to find out here, not to ruin it, but they're doing well, so they're not giving into it. But they're not knit together, because false teachings, and there's heresies, and the word heresy by definition means that it, it's breaking up into sex. So there's something that comes in that divides people. And he's like, you guys love each other, and you love one another, but you need to make sure that you don't allow and you have been doing good, that things don't come in and divide you. And uh, that their hearts, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. So one of the things we're going to find is encouraged Christians are hard to divide. And, and discouragement is the opposite of that. And when you get discouraged... You're easily swayed, and, you're, and, and just by the fact that you're discouraged, I mean, you might be looking for someone, for something else, or something to fulfill, or something to, to heal or to fix. And that, that challenged me also. So as we fellowship with one another, this love that he's talking about, are we encouraging one another, or are we discouraging one another? We, we really ought to try to go out of our way to encourage one another. So you can sit there, and you might have, if you see a fault in someone, is the first thing that you think you need to do is correct them? Can you just encourage them? Sometimes we don't see eye to eye with people. How important is it that you make a point or that you just go out of your way to encourage somebody? And I, I need, I need to, to be reminded of this, I, especially doctrinally. If all of a sudden I'm talking with somebody and they say something that doesn't match exactly, that it's not, a not, it's not an essential doctrine, how, how bad do I have to feel I have to correct it or can I just encourage them? And I need to be reminded of that often. Paul's praying that their hearts may be encouraged. They're being attacked. They're, they're young Christians. The gospel hasn't even been out that long. And, and they, their leaders are young. The church just started. Jesus just went around, just died, just rose. There's this movement. It's spreading. And Paul's like, you know what? You need to encourage one another. 
and not just encourage one another, but you need to be being knit together. So it's a present perfect tense, being knit together in love. And that being knit together is all one word. It's symbazo. It means to cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion or come to the same opinion. And again, it's a passive present participle. So it means it's passive. It's something that happens to you. So you need to allow God to knit you together. And, and again, the unity is in the spirit. We don't have to create unity. All we have to do is not remove it, not do something to take it away. In turning again, again, he wrote this right around the same time that he wrote Ephesus. If you'd flip to Ephesians chapter 4, we see this pictured out. They're close. I always turn too many pages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So the unity of the Spirit is there. We don't need to create it, we just need to endeavor to keep it in the bond of peace. So encourage one another. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. And we know that that one was Jesus, and he created everything, and it was for him and by him, and he sustains it. He is the head, we are the body, and we need to be in submission under him. Just a simple verse, and even that didn't make sense to me, even after I was saved and I had to be taught by the Lord. I thought, oh, you only can get baptized once. I was baptized before I was saved. I guess I shouldn't get baptized again. No, we're all put into one thing. We have a common, a unity here. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Twelve, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. We're going to be reading about that also. That's kind of in the face of Gnosticism, that we should no longer be carried away with every wind of doctrine. So there's this unity, and he's saying that these winds of doctrine can carry us away by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, instead of that, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, 16, from whom the whole body joint, joined and knit together, that exact same Greek word that's in Colossians, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
We are a body. He is the head. We all are parts. We're all fed and have the same source of power. We all are coming to the same conclusion, just as uh, Ken Graves always says. He heard from a southern preacher the definition of fellowship, and it stuck because it makes sense to me. It's two fellows in the same ship. You're in the same place, doing the same work, going the same direction, having the same destination. It doesn't mean you're the same person. It doesn't mean you agree on everything, but you have a commonality, a goal, and you should be working together. And if one guy's rowing to go right, one guy's rowing to go left, you're going to be going nowhere. We, we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. This body is all jointly tied and fit together. And one of the ways that we remain healthy and stay knit together is by we do our part that we were gifted for and created for, and we don't do anything other than that. If I'm a knee, I'm a knee. Don't try to become anything else, but be a knee. Do what you were called. Exercise the gift that you've been given. Back in Colossians, verse 3, in whom, speaking of Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, So again, in verse 2, it talks about the, the riches of the full assurance of the understanding of the knowledge. And I'll hear it saying, in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. So the full assurance means the most certain confidence. And this word knowledge is epigenosis. Pretty familiar with that term. Precise and correct knowledge. And, the, and again, one of the things that we'll probably be talking about today is this Gnostic heresy the word Gnostic comes from Gnosis. It means knowledge. They said to have, in fact, they named their name of their cult after knowledge. That They're pretty arrogant. And they claim to have a superior knowledge of mysteries. They, this is an early form of Gnosticism. You hear and you read more about it in First John and other places where he's attacked more. Um, some forms, so they, it, the, the latter version of it gets its roots from this early source and it's, Spirit is good, material's bad. Jesus was God, he's good, we're human, we're made out of stuff, we're bad. And earthly things, evil, God, good. They even come to the conclusion, just like every other cult, that he couldn't have been man and God, because man's bad and God is good. So therefore, Jesus wasn't actually physical, he was just spirit. And then they come to this conclusion that there's rankings. So because God is so pure, he can't, intermediate with men that he deals with angels who deal with angels who deal with angels and eventually you get a low enough angel there's this ranking of angelic hosts that they can then deal with men so there's in all these things you can't know because it's of course it's not written in the bible but if you talk to them and buy their book and go to their podcast then they'll teach you all these things because you need them in order to know all these things so this is directly in the face of this Gnostic heresy that's come to this church. Um, later on in this chapter, we're gonna get more into the Jewish legalism part of it, but for right now, it's this higher knowledge, these people that know things that you don't know, but they can tell you because, but you have to join their club and be, be good. Paul just says, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All you need is Jesus. You don't need these people. You don't need this book. All you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know Jesus. You know enough. You have Jesus. You have everything. 
And it says in verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, so they're very articulate. They sound really smart. And a lot of people that come in and you listen to them and you're like, wow, they must know what they're talking about. They use big words. And uh, they sound intelligent and they went to school and they learned all these things. And how do I argue with them? And uh, you just know Jesus. <laughs> you don't have to argue with them. You just don't let them divide you. Stick to, stick to the core, stick to the roots, stick with what you learned, which is where he's going he's gonna to take us to. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. So that tells you that you can be deceived. Deception is huge. And if you want to learn about Paul's warning of deceiving the church, then you're going to have to start his first book and read all the way through. It's in like everything. He's like this master of deception because it was coming. And he wasn't a deceiver. He's just always preparing. That's one of the things you see in almost every epistle that he writes. He's worried about people coming in and giving you and teaching you things that aren't true because it'll, it'll, it'll harm. It causes division. It and, that, and I've heard, I used to talk to my dad about that. He was not a Christian until the last couple of weeks of his life. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he, he received, but um, he's like, you guys can't even get along. My family's kind of split up denominationally, and uh, we, my siblings were all, either are or were all believers. Some of them have gone to be with the Lord. My brother passed away, but solid in the faith and uh but there's differences and sometimes those differences can can cause people to wonder and my dad not being saved would sit there and say you guys can't even agree why should i be listening to any of you and the enemy uses it and uh i don't know i just think of these types in the bible um the parable of sower and the seed right the bird that comes down and takes it, it's a picture of satan jesus tells us that and then he tells another one that there's this tree and it got big and it grew huge and the birds of the air came in and it's it's it sounds and seems to me that when satan came and tried to confront the church um the bible's people say that the the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs when he confronted it head on and even killed people the church grew he couldn't stop it so he found out that it worked better joining the church and so when he comes in and he he now then comes and tries to um Cause, and cause people confusion through division. And if he can't take away your salvation, he can at least make you ill-effective. And uh, I also, just from personal experience, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. It seems to me that the people that come in with the most persuasive words and they're, they're most articulate and they want to argue and, and they're willing to get an ear, um, no, most of the time, they don't go out in the streets and go look for unbelievers to try to save. They usually look for believers and somebody that's willing to have a conversation with them. And it's usually over doctrine. And they want to, and that's how it splits and divides. Most sects seem to be internal when it causes problems. And uh, I just, we had a conversation here recently, but just remembering and bringing up something in jail that uh, people would come that would want to hear, and it's a sweet fellowship. I mean, these guys are needy and hungry and thankful and can't get enough of the word, and they would just sit there as long as you'd stay, as long as you could stay, and they just want to read. And every once in a while, the, the last few places that we went to, it's a group where there's 53 guys, and sometimes you'd get three, sometimes you'd get 12, 15, but they would actually have their own prayer services and meetings out in the group that anybody could come to. And there were people there that 
would not agree with some of the stuff that they did and they would kind of get isolated and separated. So they would have their own study, but nobody would come. So then they started coming to our services and they would, if it didn't come up, they'd bring it up. And some of the other, I mean, they're in jail. Some, <laughs> they're believers and they're sweet brothers and I love them, but sometimes they didn't have the patience and uh, they would get upset when guys would try to take over the study and start talking about this thing that they wanted to talk about. And they're like, he has a study, nobody wants to come. So he comes here because he has an audience. Now we've got to listen to him. And they would look at me saying, can you make him stop? And eventually, if I wasn't able to or didn't feel led to or was just trying to be too polite and I was grieving the spirit, they would say, we didn't come here to listen to you. We came here to talk to him. They would just tell him to be quiet. But they would try to look for an audience. They would sit there and they would want to draw people away. And there are certain doctrines that it seems that people in the church can be stumbled over or that you can make a biblical reason for. And you just need to know they're not essentials. There are certain things that you can't deviate on if you want to be a Christian. Jesus is the answer. He is God. He did die for you. If he didn't die for you, it's not enough. You need to have the correct salvation message. But there are other things that we're not so sure about or that we can be convinced in our hearts, but other people can be convinced about something else. And sometimes those are the things that they want to talk about, this higher thing. And just my own personal experience, it seems that... uh, when it comes to reform theology, that seems to be a big, huge topic that they seem to, I have a hard time talking with people about certain topics in that context and they use a lot of big words and they're persuasive and they can find a lot of scripture and there's a lot of things that they're saying are true, but now the question is, is in what context is it? And uh, Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it's in Jesus. Let's just stay to what we know, right? Then it says in verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So again, Paul's not there, but he says, I'm with you in spirit. So we could talk about that. Paul was with them in spirit. If you don't know what that means, what is that? Pray that it happens. How, how many of us have been pouring our hearts out for people in Ukraine? Whatever this means, let that be true. Let's, for people that are getting shot in our city, for, there's difficult things that are going on. Paul's like, you know what, I'm not there physically. But he had this ability, led by the Spirit, to write it. He goes, I, I'm one with you. I understand where you're at. I can, I can pray for you. I can enter into this battle that you're in because the battle is spiritual. You don't have to physically be there. He, he had an awareness of what was going on. And to him, he, he wasn't outside of it. He was with them in spirit. He is doing what he could do. And this is for people that he hasn't even met yet. How much more for the people that we we love or say that we love, that we know that are in our family, that are in our church family. But he says, I rejoice to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. (sighs) 
joyfully perceiving how you firmly hold rank and order in Jesus is, is what he's saying. It's a, it's a military term. So he's going from a sporting analogy to a military analogy. Again, with Rome not far and everyone familiar with it, these are things that would make sense to them. Paul says, you have a good order and you're steadfast, you're holding rank. You, they're, they're, they're opposing them. They're not giving in to them. So there's this battle that's coming, but Paul is commending them, saying, you're doing a good job. I'm there with you. I'm praying with you. Don't let it creep in. And, I, and again, this, they're not gonna, they, they might leave from here. But Colossae gets trashed. But he's still saying, you know what? Finish well. You might think that you're near. You don't know that you're near the end. I know that you're near the end. In spirit, God does, and he's still exhorting them, finish well. You began something, finish well. Don't think for us, oh, it's close, we're almost out of here. Don't get slothful. Now, more than ever, it's important. And they're holding rank. And again, just authority, right? How can you hold rank? How do you, what do you, how do you even know what rank is? They were doing this. They had a place, they had a purpose, they had a goal, they had an agenda. They had a, a, a senior officer, per se, Jesus. And, and if you have people over you, and we all have people over us, is there any aspect in your life where there is not an authority? And the answer is no. And the answer also is that Jesus said that all authority comes from me. Right? So if you're in the military, you have an authority. If you're in a family, you have an authority. If you're in a church, you have an authority. If you're in a business, you have an authority. If you drive down the street, there's policemen. Everywhere you go, we, we're not called, called to be going out with guns blazing and taking over. There's something said to be in good rank, and especially when you're in a body. If you have part of your body that decides it's not going to hold rank anymore, they have a term for it. It's called cancer. Cancer is when a cell does something other than what it's supposed to do, and it destroys and it kills. It's not, it's not healthy. And there's a reason that there's an order. These people are doing well. Epaphras, this, this battle is going on, and their pastor's not there. He went to spend time with Paul, but it might have been the best thing that happened because Paul's praying for them. I would want Paul praying for me. <laughs> he knows Jesus well, and he, this letter got sent, and we're still benefiting from it. And he must have felt that there were people there behind ranks that were able to stand in the gap and, 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 and help the church. And he's saying, you did good. First of all, you were comp- he was competing like as in a sporting event. Now he's like, you're, putting, you're fighting the good fight of faith. And again, the... Uh, The words order and steadfastness are both military words. As an army under attack with unbroken lines, their discipline intact and their faith in Christ unshaken. So again, it's not a correction, it's a commendation, but it's also a warning. You need, to, you need to stay in line and together and having the knee do what the knee does if you want to walk and the ankle has to do what the ankle does if, the, if they're going to walk and this whole body has to go forward it's, it's, it's an athletic event you need to strive it's a military event you need to stay in line in verse 6 and 7 could be the theme of this whole 
book. Obviously, Colossians 1, it's all about who Jesus is, but this warning. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the first question, obviously, is have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? If you are going to walk as you received him, you would have had to have received him first, right? So, so obviously, preaching to the choir, and we did sing today, so we can call ourselves a choir. <laughs> I don't Probably the only choir I'll ever get in is one where you can volunteer, but he likes it. <clears throat> as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, the anointed Messiah, his name is Jesus, and he's God in the flesh, as you have received him. So obviously we receive him. How do we receive him? How did you get saved? Did you think, boy, I've been doing bad stuff, and there's probably a God, and he's probably upset, so maybe he's probably going to come down and die for us. Did you just come up with it on your own? Can you think it through? Can you figure it out? You had to be shown. He had to tell you. There's certain things. So you can see and experience and feel physical and emotional things, but in order for things of the Spirit, they have to be told to you. They can be grasped, but they have to be given. The gospel had to come to you. God initiated it. As you received something that you take in, it's not something that you did. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And I remember John 1, 12 and 13, right? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, we're all children of God. Well, not, the Apostle John didn't think so. God who wrote the Bible didn't think so. We are all created in God's likeness. We all have a conscience. We can all know right and wrong, but you only become a child of God when you become born of God. You can understand what it's like to be a Randolph, but only my children, you're not born into the bloodline. There's, there's, it's a family. I remember years and years ago when I first got saved, I ended up reading the New Believer's Handbook Pastor Chuck had done. And that was the very first memory verse. Every week you had a memory verse. John 1, 12 and 13 was the first memory verse of the New Believer's Bible, according to Pastor Chuck. If I remember right, it was either first or second. I think it was the first. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God who were born right of the Spirit, it tells us. How did that happen? As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him. How that happened is how we're to walk. So they were holding lines, they were doing good, but this Christianity isn't something that you get saved and then you sit around and bide your time and, okay, well, heaven's come and now what do I do? What do I do while they wait? It's a walk, it's a journey, it's something that happens. God invades your life, he takes over, he's Christ, Jesus, he's the Lord, he's the master. And how we received him is how we're supposed to walk. Let's little journey. Ephesians 2. How did we receive Christ Jesus? This is how we're to walk. Ephesians 2. Common, common verses. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, we were to walk by them. We are saved by grace through faith. That's how we were saved. But then we're to walk in them. Galatians 3. Chapter, Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, verse 5, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for... The just shall live by faith. We were saved by grace through faith, and the just shall live by faith. Just as you were received Christ, so walk ye in him. We received Jesus by faith, now we walk with him by faith. Next week, I'll probably, next month, sorry, I don't have the money. (laughs) Next month, if we get to the legalism, we'll probably be reading Galatians 3 again, I'll tell you right now, but <laughs> the just shall live, but that's how we walk in him, by faith. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So now we get to sporting illustrations to military illustrations, and now we're getting construction illustrations. This rooted and built up. Obviously rooted, it's a construction term, I believe, but it takes me to Psalm 1, where it's agricultural, right? This tree planted by the water, rooted. These roots go in. There's, There's good soil. That's where it gets nutrition. You need to, in order to be fed, the tree, in order that its leaves should not wither, in order for the tree to bear fruit, you need to get nourishment, and the spirit is our nourishment. It needs to be rooted, but also a building needs to have a firm foundation. Jesus is our firm foundation. We're rooted in him, we're founded in him, and, and it's not just important that when people look at you or when people with heresies or people that are looking to divide seemingly with big words come, that they see what you're doing and that it looks good, but you need to have something inside that can withstand it. You need to be rooted. 
downward and built upward and established or planted firm. And since I'm in a turning mood, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because God always has a way of explaining things better than I do. That same word is used in verse 10, but we'll start in, in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now are still not able. For you are still carnal, for whether there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And we know that this church in Colossae was not being divided, but it was being tempted to be divided. Colossae is a, Colossae is a, a good example of a church that, that did well. Corinthians is a church that did not do well. So they had people coming in, and they had people teaching things, and they were given over to it, and they were, Paul says that they became, came behind no other church in spiritual gifts, yet they were high-minded, and they were acting in a carnal way, because I would assume pride, that they wanted to, to know more, be better, be seen, be seen as spiritual. And Paul flat out says it in verse 3, for you are still carnal. So if there's envy and there's strife and there's divisions, then you're behaving like mere men. And that's not man up. This is not saying something good about them. He's not... He's like, they're, they're, you can act spiritual, you can act carnal. You can act just like everybody else. When you are sitting there trying to reason and think and figure it out and do what you think is best, then you're acting just like a human being would act that doesn't have God inputting things and giving you the power and the wisdom to do the right thing. You can be spiritual or you can be carnal. So that's why Paul had said that, you know, I pray that God would give you spiritual wisdom but also with, with spiritual understanding. Not just enough to know God's will, but you need to know what to do with it. It's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to know what to do with it. These people had information, but now the question is, what are you going to do with it? And they were acting human with it and not spiritual, spirit of God in it. Verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am Apollos, are you not carnal? So they were being divided. They were following sex. And to me, this is one of the issues today. This is one of the things that we can talk about. They had issues going on at the church in Colossae that we don't see. I have not talked to too many Gnostics, but I have talked to a lot of people that say, yeah, well, I'm a Baptist. The, the, the divisions of denominations, and it doesn't mean that it has to be a problem, but it can be a problem. Sometimes people would say that you're going to the wrong church, or my church is better than you, or whatever. It can be something that divides us. It doesn't need to be. They were, if you're carnal, it'll be a problem. Verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor to strive, to, to work, to do what God's doing. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. 
You are God's building, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another builds, that's that same verse from Klaus, on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. And that word build is the exact same word again, so he uses it twice. We have a foundation. We build upon that. He says, take heed how you build upon it. It's not just what you build, it's how you build. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So there's this judgment coming, this beam of seat coming, and God is going to test us on how we build and how we go. And then we get to verse... Seven says, rooted and built up and established construction as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So they were taught well. Paul passed on to Epaphras, who passed on to other people who passed on to the church there, and the teaching was going forward. The, the apostles' doctrine was spreading, and it was growing, and it was working. In verse 8, it says, beware. So even though all of that happens, there's caution necessary, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. There's this man thing again. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all the principality and the power. So we see this cautious, this, this warning, beware lest anyone cheat you. And that word cheat means to steal. So you've been giving something freely in Christ. And some people say that there's another way of growing beyond that. But really all they're doing is taking from you. They're taking away liberty. They're taking away joy. They're taking away something that Jesus' blood bought to gain something for themselves. Beware lest anyone cheat you. And then he says, through philosophy, empty deceit, and it, that is according to the tradition of men. So there are traditions that are good and there are traditions that are bad. And these, there's, today we look at things, there's, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, it says that there's good traditions that you should follow that we have passed on. And it says in 3.16 that there's bad traditions. And, uh, if you'd flip with me to Mark, chapter 7. Again, very common, well-known. On traditions. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes, verse 1, came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw... Some of the, his disciples, he bred with defiled hands, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees 
And all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, because I might have touched it. And there are many other things that, which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Why don't you wear a suit when you go to church? Why don't you, why do you spend an hour in the Bible and not just have a five-minute Bible study? We hear these kind of same things. There's all these traditions that are passed on that people don't understand, and they almost take it as if law, especially Catholicism. They have so many traditions that they say this is the way things have to be done, not just can be done, but have to be done, because our spokesman from God told us so. And some of these traditions can be good, but some of them are also bad, and they're a warning. And it says in verse uh, 10, well, 9, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he said, He who curses father or mother let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever you profit you might have received from me is Corbin, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. There's many things that got passed down. And now the question should be is, I remember my, my walk with the Lord when I first got saved, and I used to walk around saying, okay, if I'm a Christian, can I do this? If I'm a Christian, can I do this? What am I still allowed to do? And then a radical moment when all of a sudden there was something that God spoke to me and says, okay, forget about what you can. The question now is why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? I was coming to church. And people, sometimes it seems like weren't even looking at me. And I'm thinking, oh, I must be in sin. Or what? I wasn't getting recognition, and all of a sudden, God's like, well, why do you go to church? I don't know. You tell me. If you're going to put me on the spot, you'll know if I'm lying. I got to worship you. He's like, good, then just worship me. Don't worry about it. It'll happen. It'll happen. Sometimes God draws you alone or does something unique to you. We can fall into even good things can become done in a bad way. Your morning devotions can become an idol and all of a sudden now you're just doing something and to you that's a moment and then you go off and you never actually allowed God to do what he wanted to do in that time. Let him tell you what, what I read in the morning can become an idol. You can be the one deciding what you choose to read rather than having God tell you. It's easy to get caught up into the, I only got so much time, I'm only going to do certain things. And I know Tozia said that one time, it takes the whole Bible to, take a whole, to make a whole Christian. You read through, get the whole thing in you somehow. So on that note, as we're running out of time, if you want to come up, if you would uh, flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're doing communion tonight. Communion is one of those things that can be traditional and done improperly. And the Corinthian church was having issues here. And uh, there's a proper way of doing it. And just to figure out what things were right and what things were wrong, a good mindset for you that was told to me years ago that stuck out is, did Jesus do it? If it's a tradition, 
that we should follow? Did Jesus do it? And if he did, did he teach it? And if so, did they do it in the book of Acts? And if so, do they teach it in the epistles? It's like foot washing is a good example. Did Jesus wash and teach feet? Yes. Well, did they do it in the book of Acts? No. Did they teach it in the epistles? No. What was the foot washing then? It was, it was a lesson on serving. Did Jesus serve? Yes. Did they serve in the book of Acts? Yes. Does he teach about serving in the epistles? Yes. So we ought to be servants. Well, here's an example of something that fits all of those categories, communion, yet it can still be done wrong. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter, 7, uh, chapter 11, verse 17, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. So here they are coming together and having the Lord's Supper, and even this is something that's causing division. 19, for there must also be factions among you, sects, usually divided by, caused by heresy, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then he's, we'll skip the next part for when we take communion together. Um, but he says that when you come together, which, which we've done, so we've come together here and we're going to take this cup. If you look at verse 27 real quick, just to kind of remind and think about What's happening? Verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest when he come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So we are here, and we're going to come together to take communion, and we'll talk about what it is after we receive it. So if I could do a song, you could come up and get the elements. So... Communion, just the name in and of itself, means in common, right? Isn't it funny, sad, actually, that the thing that unites us the most can actually be a source of division in the Corinthian church? How, and again, it's just telling, right? So we have a representation here, which we're going to read, of the body of Christ in it, he goes on to say that some that did it unworthily. What does it mean to be unworthy? So what does this represent? Jesus dying. Why did Jesus die? Because we needed him to. His death, he lives in us. So I just see it kind of as a clear picture, right? As I'm confronted with the cross, looking at it and what it represents. And Jesus died on the cross and came into me. So you imagine acknowledging his death, but then not letting him in me? You're just guilty of killing God. Something that he showed me a long time ago. Either you are going to be guilty of the murder of God's son. When he sees you, he's going to see his son's killer, or he's going to look at you and see his son. One is really good, one is really bad. 
I know which camp we want to be on. This is representing what Jesus wanted to happen. He wanted God to see him when he looks at you, when he looks at me. And it goes on in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, this is something from God that God wants us to know and to do, that that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, looking at the heart of man, took bread. On the night that humanity abandoned him, he decided to show the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is what I did for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so why don't we do that? Let's not just take this token of his body, but let's remember him. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, let's do both. Take this and also remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, this is a transfer. This is the right way of substitution, right? His life for mine. We remember that he died, but the only thing that that procured for us is that his life can be in us. As you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, now so walk ye in him. So, Father, I just thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, for your, your warning, for your encouragement. I just pray that you would cause us to encourage one another and be united in you, that you are the common bond, that your spirit that flows through each of us would, we know you have no problem with yourself, that there is no conflict or division in you. You get along with yourself, fine. Help us to be more like you and less like us, that you might have the preeminence in this place, the head of this body, and cause us to walk by faith in that truth. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for allowing us to remember this. You chose to have us remember what you did for us, that we don't have to worry, that you took care of it, that we can have peace with you. Let us walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen.